0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Alright, we we're continuing a series today. Uh, you asked for it. We started this series last week. A few months ago, we uh, passed around a card and said, what would you like us to teach on? Uh, this can be something that has impacted your life that you wish more people knew more about or something that you just don't know anything about and you would like to know more about. Uh, so last week, the, the question that we received was, what was the significance of the veil being torn, the veil to the temple being torn as Jesus was on the cross? Uh, We looked at some extra-biblical evidence for that moment in history. Uh, We looked at a few ideas of Old Testament symbolism in that moment, and ultimately we landed in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus became our new curtain. He became the new way by which we enter into the presence of God. Uh, And the Bible actually says in Hebrews that because of the work of Christ on the cross, we can enter into his presence with all confidence and all boldness. So that's what we looked at last week. Today, it's kind of a whole nother topic. Uh, this is the topic that, that you guys selected. If we are actually living in the end days, the last days, how should that affect the way we live our lives? If we are actually living in the last days, how should that affect how we live our lives? Uh, so the first thing that we want to do before we go too far is we're going to look at just the first half of that question. Are we living in the last days? Uh, what exactly constitutes... <laughs> the last days. Uh, Is it the generation of Jesus' return? Uh, Is it being within a couple of hundred years of his return, within a few decades of his return? Uh, What actually constitutes the last days? And and opinions on that might vary from person to person. Most of you are well aware that uh, many people have tried to predict not only when we would enter into the last days, but specifically when Jesus would return. I find that fascinating because Jesus said, I don't know. He said, only the Father knows. The amazing thing is that Jesus didn't know, yet we have these loonies who say they know, and they have thousands of people who believe them. It's incredible. One of my favorites, if you go to Amazon, you can find a litany of books predicting the end of the world. This is one of my favorites. It's called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I love about this book, if you go on Amazon and you go to the reviews... One of the top reviews says, this book really stands the test of time. And 114 people found that review helpful. So what kind of world are we living in? Uh, But I was thinking, since it's such undeniably sound doctrine, we'll just do a whole series on this book. So stay tuned for that. Now, if we open our Bibles throughout the New Testament, what we actually find is there are sort of two different approaches to the last days. Both of them are biblical. Both of them are accurate. So this morning we're going to talk about both of them. We find the first approach in the teachings of Jesus as well as in some of Paul's teachings. Uh, They taught about the last days in terms of us understanding the nearness of the end. So we're going to look at the end times from that approach first and beginning in Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 3. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, just in case you're a checklist person, we're going to look at this kind of like a checklist, just so I can show you here. The first thing he says that's going to happen in the last days is there will be wars and rumors of wars. I was trying to look up the last time... Uh, when there was no war on earth. And the most common response was whenever the first war took place on earth, there's always been war since then. There has just always been war. There has never been peace throughout the entire earth that we know of. The next thing that it says uh, is in the last days there will be famines and earthquakes. And Luke adds pestilences or diseases, uh, which makes me automatically think of COVID-19, things like that that are happening in our lifetime. The next thing that he says is persecutions and martyrdom, you'll be killed for your faith. Uh, I was looking up some statistics on this, and uh, there's an organization called the International Society for Human Rights, and they estimate, we don't see this in America, they estimate that about 10,000 Christians are killed every year for their faith. Uh, Sometimes it's way more than that, but on average, it's about 10,000 people killed for their faith. Every single year. So again, we're seeing this taking place right now. The next thing he says is there's going to be a great falling away from the faith, that the love of most will grow cold. And again, there are several statistics that we have that suggest perhaps we're living in this specific time. Uh, there is a Pew Research study that shows that currently 64% of Americans identify as Christians. 64%. Fifty years ago, that number was 90%. In the last 50 years, it's gone from 90 to 64. And they're, uh, they're expecting in 50 years from now, it'll be below 50%, that Christianity in America will actually be the minority. Uh, those who consider themselves active Christians, which I'm guessing means they read their Bible and pray and go to church, Uh, are about 25% right now in America. 20 years ago, it was 45%. Just in 20 years, it's down to 25% consider themselves active Christians. If you look at just the past few years, in 2019, uh, over 4,500 churches closed their doors for good. In 2020, more than 4,000 more. In 2020, over 20,000 ministers left the ministry. In 2021, we don't have the statistics, but everything is pointing to it being the worst of all three. So we are in this stage where there is a great decrease in our faith and those who are active in the Christian faith. So again, you can put a check mark next to that. The next thing it says is that the gospel will reach the ends of the earth. Now there is some uh, degree of disagreement over whether or not this has been fulfilled. Uh, Some people will say that this is speaking of every ethnic group and there are thousands of ethnic groups that don't have the gospel in their language. Uh, However, it appears from scripture that Paul and Peter considered this fulfilled. In fact, they said that uh, the the gospel of Jesus Christ had turned the entire world on its head. So most people believe today that this was speaking of the known world in that time, in the time where Rome reigned over all. Most people believe that this has been fulfilled, that Jesus can reach any people group right now. And in fact, he does. I was talking to Brian this morning. The stories uh, in other nations... I played an audio clip for you one time of a friend of mine from Turkey who had a dream where Jesus appeared to her in a dream and said, I want you to follow me. So it's not necessary, uh, necessarily that we have to send a missionary to every single people group on the earth. It's just that the gospel has to get to them and Jesus Christ is even reaching people as we speak. So... I believe you can put a check mark next to that. Now one thing I didn't put on that list that Jesus talks about, I want to talk about now. It's in Matthew 24, 12. Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of uh, of most will grow cold. When Jesus talks about the last days, one of the things that he emphasizes is in those days there will be an increase in wickedness. Now I want to look at that specifically. Because when Paul talks about the last days, this is one of the only things that he actually talks about. In 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and Paul says this, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Mark this, Timothy. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, if you start out a conversation that way, what I'm going to think you're talking about is persecution and martyrdom and all the things that's going to happen to Christianity. But Paul isn't talking about that here. When Paul says there will be terrible times, he's actually talking about the condition of humanity. He says, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Then in verse 2 he says, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, the truth, church, is all of those things ex, uh, existed to some degree as Paul was writing this. They existed to some degree, but the idea here is that as we approach the end days, the end, the end of time, these things would progressively get worse as Jesus uh, was, was nearing his return. And what's happening since that moment and what is still taking place is the progressive deterioration of humanity. I was thinking of America alone, uh, because in America there's been this common narrative that, we'll call it a progressive moral deterioration in Washington, in our government, in our politicians. But there has been this idea, and you may have heard it before, you may have said it before, that we have this select few in Washington who is making these decisions that are out of touch with the public, they're disconnected from what the majority of our nation wants. But what I'm finding, what I'm coming to believe, especially after weeks like this past one, is uh, the depravity in our government is not an anomaly, it's a reflection. It's a reflection of the growing immorality of our nation, of the people in our nation. I was thinking just about the, the state of Michigan, Uh, Michigan, in this past election this week, wanted to put the right to kill unborn babies on their ballot so they could vote it in to protect it. However, to enshrine something like that, to put it on the ballot, um, you can't just say, hey, put this on the ballot, you have to get signatures. They had to get 425,000 signatures of people saying, hey, put it on the ballot. Uh, Not only did they get 425,000 signatures, they got about 800,000 signatures uh, from people who said, we want this on the ballot, it's the, the most, uh, they said it is the, the, the largest turnout for any ballot initiative in state history was for the purpose of protecting abortion rights. So it was added to the ballot and it was protected in the state constitution. There were similar pro-abortion victories in California, Vermont, Kentucky, Montana, and recently in Kansas. These are decisions that are not made by a select few people in government, but by the public, the voting public. So what's happening is the argument can no longer be made that we have these immoral politicians out of touch with the voting public. No, the truth is, church, they are a reflection of what people are wanting more and more and more. And it's not simply the direction of our government. It's the direction of our nation. And you know what the Bible says? It's a sign of the times. This is just one example of the deterioration of the human condition. As we move closer and closer to the the return of Jesus Christ, this depravity, it's progressing and it will continue to progress just like the Bible said it would. And Jesus said this would be the case. And Paul said this would be the case as we approach the last days. But church, we actually stopped before Paul was finished. I want to go back and finish what Paul said to Timothy. So again, in verse 1, he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then on the verse 4, he says, People will be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then we should find this kind of scary. They will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. What's scary about that church? What's scary to me is if you took the American church and they had a bumper sticker that described them to a T, that is it, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of God church, when we have a gospel message that lacks power, we are running completely counter to who we're supposed to be. Luke 4 tells us that when Jesus launched into his ministry, he launched into ministry led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, and then it says, empowered by the Holy Spirit. His entire ministry was supported by works of power, healing, signs, and wonders. When he sent out his disciples into the world, he says, I'm giving you power, power to heal every sickness, power over every demon out there. I'm sending you with power, When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in in Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, he said, My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. He said, When I went out, I went out with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he wrote to Timothy, and he said, It's not just for me. And it wasn't even just for Jesus. It wasn't just for the original disciples. He said in 2 Timothy 1.7, The spirit that God has given us does not make us timid, but it gives us power. That word power is the same word where we get dynamite. It's talking about a literal explosive power. And Paul said that... Let me ask you this, church. If we just hold the church up today and we say they're one of two things, they're wise and persuasive words, or their demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit, how would, what, what category are we going to put the church in? If we're being honest, the church goes into the category today of wise and persuasive words. And Paul said this would be the increasing reality as we approach the end of times. There would be a form of godliness, but a denial of the power therein. However, according to, to Paul... Power wasn't the only thing that would be extracted from the gospel message. He said something else would be missing too. This is the very next chapter in, in Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, hey, patiently and carefully preach the whole gospel. And still in context of the end of days, he says in, in 2 Timothy 4.3, this is why, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So in the last days, Paul says two things are going to go missing from the church of Jesus Christ in large part, not completely, but in large part. First of all, the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. It is, there's going to be a form of godliness, but a lack of power. He says the second thing that is going to go missing is sound doctrine because we're going to enter into a generation that won't put up with it anymore. Church is a good chance. I'll tell you, I said the word abortion. You check our Facebook page later, we're going to be flagged and taken down. That's just how it works. I said the word vaccine one time. Amen. Vaccine. Amen. And we were taken down. I didn't even say anything about it. All I said it was it was political at the time. We were flagged, taken down. We are being silenced, church. And when you stand up for what you believe in, you stand up for the word of God, you will be silenced. That's not in my notes, that just came out. <laughs> So So now you have two things being removed from the gospel message. First of all, power. Second of all, truth. And what we're finding simultaneously, as I believe all that's happening now, is thousands of churches are closing their doors. Thousands of churches are closing their doors. Church, you cannot remove from the gospel of Jesus Christ what was intended to be there. And expect to be a flourishing church. Um, We are not a weekly self help class, okay? This isn't your Sunday morning self help class. The Bible says that the reason we are here is to equip the saints for the work of the gospel. Do you know who the saints are? You're the saints. You come here to be equipped to go out there and stand up for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You come here to be equipped to leave those doors and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit wherever you go. The power of God is for the church today. It is for you. We have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying this morning is, is as churches move further and further away from these truths, it's simply a sign of the times. So when we talk about the subject of the end times, this is how Jesus and Paul approached it. It was, it was about the nearness of the, end of the end of time, of the last days. Uh, when we see these things happening, it was a sign of the nearness of the end. But Peter, Peter actually comes at it from a different angle altogether. When Peter talks about the subject of the end times, it wasn't about looking for the signals that indicate we're approaching the end of times. Uh, For Peter, it was, we are living in the end times. It wasn't about nearness as much as it was about we are in the era of the end times. The time block of the end, we're there. uh, Beginning with the cross, beginning with the Holy Spirit. And I'll I'll show you that. Um, In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that, that everyone was gathered in the upper room, and they were praying, and the Holy Spirit fell. There was a sound of, uh, of mighty mighty uh, rushing wind that came from heaven. It filled the whole house, and they began to speak in tongues. And remember, the, the crowd formed, and they were like, what is going on? If you remember, Peter st- stood up, and he spoke to this crowd in Acts 2.16, and he said this, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What you see happening in this moment was spoken by the prophet Joel. And this is what Joel said. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Peter looks back and he says, when Joel was talking about the last days, that is being fulfilled in this moment on the day of Pentecost. We are stepping into the time period of the last days. It has been fulfilled. And this idea that we are in the last days, uh, we see it throughout Peter's writings. If we go to First Peter In uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he just says it blatantly. He says, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. So what do we do about the fact that Peter and the other apostles were ready and waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? They lived lives that that believed he was going to return at any moment, and that was 2,000 years ago. Peter actually addressed that uh, in 2 Peter 3. Beginning in verse 3, he said, above all. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers or mockers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, Where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as as it has since the beginning of creation. On to verse 8, he says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He says the reality is we should live as though we are in the last days. Some people are going to come to you and say, Christians have been waiting on the return of Christ for 2,000 years. And do you know what Peter said? You can look at them and say, well, you just proved that we're in the last days because Peter said in the last days, you were going to say that to me that we've been waiting. So use that next one. Pull it out of your holster. Peter's message wasn't so much to decipher the moment that the end times would begin as we approached. It was to recognize that these are the last days beginning on the day of Pentecost. We are now in the last days. The imminent return of Christ is on the horizon. And he says, so live in that perspective. Live in that mindset. Now, here's the truth of the matter. If you want to come at this from Peter's perspective, from the perspective that uh, we entered into the last days uh, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, then we are living in the last days. If you want to come at it from Jesus and Paul's perspective that says, look for these signs and they determine the nearness of his return, then I would say to you, we are living in the last days. Either way you look at it, church, we are living in the last days. The question this morning is what does that mean for you? What does that mean for how we live our lives when we leave this place? So what we're going to do this morning uh, is we're going to watch an episode of Doomsday Preppers. I'm really excited. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't do that. No, we're not talking about opinions because we actually don't need to. Uh, Peter told us exactly how to live in the last days. Now, before we go into what Peter said, I just want to preface this by saying, I love how countercultural this is, what Peter says. Because if you think you're living in the last days, the tendency is to be kind of panicky, a little bit panicky about it, and, and, and you're rushing. And, and Peter doesn't go into any of that. He doesn't say to, to build a bomb shelter or stock up on ammunition or toilet paper or whatever the case. Uh, let's just read it. I don't think there's anything about toilet paper. First uh, Peter 4, <laughs> chapter 7, again, he says, The end of all things is near, therefore. So he says, Because the end of all things is near, and then he goes on, uh, continuing with verse 7. He says, Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. This is his advice for living in the last days. He says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So the first thing he says is because we are living so close to the end, the first thing is pray. We should be a people of prayer, He says to be alert and to be sober-minded and to pray. The second thing he says is he says we should be a people who love one another. He says pray and recognizing that you are in the last days. Love one another. Don't waste any time, but love one another. And then he says be hospitable towards others without grumbling. Without grumbling. And then he says, use your gift to serve others. Church, you have gifts. You have received gifts from God. Use them to serve others. Use them without grumbling, Peter said. Just use them to serve others. And then he says, speak as though you speak on God's behalf. In other words, choose your words wisely, choose your words appropriately. When the Bible says be slow to speak, that's kind of what this is talking about. Because we are in the last days, we choose every word wisely, as though every time you are opening your mouth, you're speaking on behalf of God. You do that, you'll be a lot quieter. I know I will. And then Peter, uh, Renee, if you want to go ahead and come up, Peter adds one more thing to the list in 2 Peter. He's answering the question of how to live in the last days. 2 Peter 3.11 says, What kind of people in those last days ought you to be? He says, You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. He says, In the last days, this is your focus. Just live holy lives. Live godly lives. There's nothing panicky about anything on this list. He's just saying, do everything in in your power to pursue God and to live for God. The the truth, church, is is the biblical directive for your life is not primarily to determine the day of Christ's second coming or or the day that the, the end times begins. The primary directive on your life is to live as though you're there now. To live as though this day you are in those last days. To, to respond appropriately to that. The only thing that I would add to this, this this list is to live a life of urgency. Not a life that says I have all the time in the world. Now, that's one of the flaws if you go back to, to Matthew chapter 24 with the idea that we have to send a missionary to 7,000 more people say well he ain't coming right now because we still got some time left no the truth is the gospel truth what we find in peter and paul's teaching is it's imminent and we should live with the knowledge that he could come back at any moment that your co-worker who doesn't know christ there should be an urgency to love them and serve them to jesus that, That our callings shouldn't be put off any longer. That this day we should step into them and say, God, I want to bring as many people as I possibly can into your kingdom. There should be an urgency about us if we believe that we are living in the last days. Can you stand with me, church? I'm going to ask you, as Renee leads us, just to pray, to pray that the Holy Spirit would show you this morning a way that he might be calling you to live just a little different, knowing that you're in the last days. So, Father, I pray that your Spirit would reveal to us, Lord, if there's anywhere in our hearts and our lives that we need to change, if there's anyone in our lives that you've placed there that out to would you highlight them in this time Jesus Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church. May God bless you.